Hello, and welcome to the Live, Lead, Succeed podcast, where you'll be inspired to become the best version of yourself, overcome limiting mindsets, and grow into the leader of excellence you were called to be. Here's your leadership and lifestyle coach and guide, Stacy Barlow-Hill. Right. Hello, Succeeders. I'm so glad to have you today. I am talking with my good friend, Josh Whiteside. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Stacy. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for uh, reaching out to me to be on the show. Absolutely. Josh is one of my favorite people. I love Josh. I don't think I've ever seen Josh have a bad day. And I know you've had <laughs> bad days, but I've just, I've never seen it. I just think you're just the most pleasant, um, personable person. I just love you. Wow. That is really high praise, Stacey. Thank you so much. I, feel like, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever received a compliment quite like that. I would, you know, Stacey, maybe what it is, is that, you know, over the past, gosh, it's probably been seven or eight years that we've been working together. Anytime I'm with you, it's usually for a really good thing. We're like in the middle of some fun event planning or endeavor or I don't know. So maybe, maybe just our relationship is predicated on good things. You know, that is a good point. We are always together for happy occasions. So that is probably true, but I don't think you can like fake being personable. Like I've had many encounters with you and you know, you can't fake that all the time. No, I think I'll probably just go ahead and thank my, my grandma for that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're jumping the gun a little bit because our listeners might not even know who you are. So let's back up. And why don't you give an introduction of yourself and just tell everybody who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name is Josh Whiteside and I'm a Pittsburgh native. Uh, my wife and I live on Mount Washington and I am the executive director at the Education Partnership. And uh, the Education Partnership, if anyone is unaware, is a local nonprofit organization to the uh, southwestern Pennsylvania region. Uh, we're headquartered in Pittsburgh, and our mission is to provide students and teachers in under-resourced schools uh, with supplies throughout southwestern Pennsylvania. So we are the school supply stuff people. And this year we are supporting 143 schools, which equates to uh, 5,500 teachers and about 56,000 students. Wow, that's awesome. Have, has that number increased since the COVID or is that kind of a normal number for you guys? Well, it's increased steadily over, over the past couple years. Um, here, as, as an alarming statistic, the num we base our school eligibility off of student enrollment in the National School Lunch Program. And mm. our metric is in order for a school to apply to be part of the education partnership, at least 70% of their students must be uh, qualified for the National School Lunch Program. So okay. uh, the education partnership started in 2009. And at the time, 
there were like 50,000 students eligible in Southwestern PA. And today there's uh, well over 100,000 students who qualify for the National School Lunch Program. So it's wow. great that we're serving 56,000 students, but there, there's a lot of work to be done. Absolutely, that's wonderful. So maybe tell everyone a little bit about your journey. How did you, how did you get to, to the education partnership? What, what in your career led you up to that? Ooh, boy, oh boy. Uh, okay, <laughs> so it's been anything but orthodox. My, my journey to the education partnership or even my journey into the nonprofit sector. But um, I'll start with, um, I'll start with, let's go all the way back to Allegheny College. And uh, yeah, so at Allegheny, I originally was set out uh, to be pre-med and I was going to be a doctor. You know, my mom's a physician. My mom's a physician. My brother's a physician. Uh, Both of my sister-in-laws are physicians. Now, at the time, I didn't have any sister-in-laws, but Uh, I saw the benefit to the community of being a doctor. So that was my goal. And then my summer jobs were working at doctor's offices. And without fail, Stacy, every every doctor would stumble in like the back office that I'd be in filing papers or something. And they'd say, oh, hi. And they'd introduce themselves. What are you in school for? And I'd say, well, I'm pre-med. I'm going to be a doctor. And they all said, you know what, there is so much bureaucracy and paperwork and red tape. If you like business, and I was an economics minor, I would tell them, if you like business, then you should go into the business side of medicine, not the medical side of medicine. And I think probably after like the sixth doctor to tell me that, I went back to Allegheny my junior year and I flip-flopped my major and my minor. So I I ended up graduating with an economics major and a biology minor. And with wow. that, I was slated to graduate and start my career in uh, the accounting field. And I was hired by PNC Bank to be an accountant. Now, this was in 2008 amidst the, the recession or the Great Recession, I guess. Um, I was just happy to have a job. But my training cohort at PNC Bank wasn't large enough and I guess not financially sound for them to like go through a full orientation. So they kept delaying my start date and me and my college roommate had already moved out of our parents' homes and we were actually renting on Mount Washington and the real world hit pretty quick when my my start date for my job got pushed from June to July and then July to August and August to September. And I had rent and I had utilities and I had food and I had all these things that I was like, (laughs) you know, used to be a college kid. Uh, So I ended up telling PNC, thanks, but no thanks. I got to go make some money. And I was also recruited at Allegheny by the local or the regional AFLAC office, the Pittsburgh Metro Area Region AFLAC office. And I called them up 
And I said, are you still hiring that position? And they said, yes. So I went in and interviewed with Aflac instead, and I ended up starting my career in the insurance business. Wow. So Josh, let me just, <laughs> I'm curious, how did you get into insurance and accounting from biology and economics? What kind of, <laughs> was were you kind of taking what was available or what kind of? Honestly, a little bit. Like in, yeah. in 2008, I would have been happy to have any job that like wanted me 40 hours a week. And <laughs> with my economics um, major, you know, I had taken all the accounting courses and I did a tax internship at Allegheny. So I felt like I could do accounting. I, I would not say that I was in any way passionate about it. And in fact, looking back at it, I would have been a horrible accountant. Um, maybe like on paper, I might've been a good accountant, but mentally I would have been so miserable. And you know me, Stacy, like I need, <laughs> I need people and I need something to keep me busy, like constantly or like I'm a wreck. So, um, yeah, I went into accounting because the opportunity was there and it was a job. And then I went into insurance because I literally had nothing left to go to. I had interviewed with Aflac and they offered me a position at Allegheny. I turned them down. I was like, insurance, <laughs> who wants to go into insurance? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I did not. I did not really want to do either, to be honest. Now, that being said, I sold insurance short because insurance is fun. I really, really enjoyed being in the insurance field. And I enjoyed it not for the reasons that I thought. I think um, when people think of insurance, well, maybe that's a generalization, but when people think of insurance, I think they think of like actuaries and number crunchers and filing claims and dealing with upset people who had just gone through hardship. And there is some of that, but in I was a benefits consultant. So really what my role was, was a lot of prospecting and cold calling and finding leads, but also working with um, established clients in the Pittsburgh area while I was finding my own clients. And I got to work with and problem solve with presidents of businesses, CEOs, uh, COOs, directors of HR, like some really, really incredible people, uh, really smart people, good business people. And me, this, you know, 22 year old, um, really kind of latched on to that opportunity to meet all of these interesting people across sectors and across industries. Um, I got to travel a lot. So I got to see different states and different parts of the U.S., so it wasn't all bad. And at the end of the day, it was a game. Insurance is a numbers game. And I am the epitome of competitive. Uh, so I always loved that aspect of it in knowing that each week my numbers were going to be posted for everybody else in the office to see. And I had to win. Like, that's what I had to do. <laughs> So I like the game aspect of it too. Whoever could get the most no's, that person is also going to get the most yeses. And I always wanted to be that person. Mm, I love that. That's a good quote. Yeah. 
So that was insurance, and and I really enjoyed it. And then one day, uh, one day I got a Facebook message, and it was from uh, my childhood friend who we had grown up together. In fact, um, we we call ourselves cousins, even though we're not actually cousins, because her parents <laughs> are Aunt Patty and Uncle Paul, and you know, to her, my parents are Uncle Paul and Aunt Debbie, um, but we're not actually related. Our, our grandmothers were bowling partners and, and our mothers grew up as best friends. So naturally we grew up as friends. So yeah. I get this message on Facebook. Her name is uh, Megan Yun or uh, Megan Shrek at the time she got married. Um, and she said, Josh, I just won $2,500 to throw birthday parties for homeless kids. Do you want to get involved? I was like, yeah, of course I want to get involved. That sounds incredible. So we got together and we created what is now known as Beverly's Birthdays. So it's another local nonprofit here in Pittsburgh that provides birthday programming for children experiencing homelessness throughout uh, southwestern Pennsylvania. And uh, it was something fun. We got together uh, a group of friends that we called a board of directors so that we could file 501c3 paperwork and get our nonprofit status. And we created business cards, uh, you know, chair of the board, vice chair of the board. And I was meeting with business owners daily. And I was like, I, I am always going to weave into that conversation. And what does your business do uh, to support the community? Or do you have any charitable initiatives or, uh, what type of employee engagement opportunities do you have? Maybe volunteerism. And so I would always find a way to work Beverly's birthdays into those conversations. And so this year we're in, uh, we're in like March of 2012 now to set the stage. Okay. So the organization starts in February, 2012. We spend March and April and May. Well, heck we spent the rest of 2012 doing this and just talking about Beverly's birthday and trying to raise additional money because we started to get some traction in forming partnerships with emergency shelters, transitional shelters. I, I don't know if we were in any residential rehab facilities at the time, but at the, by the end of 2012, we had raised what's called an, an additional $10,000. So we were, we were like beside ourselves with excitement that we were able to, you know, get all these extra birthday presents and birthday cake. Um, but then by the end of 2012, we had four solid uh, shelter partners who we would go into on a monthly basis. And we would throw a birthday party for all of the kids that lived at that shelter. And any of those kids who had a birthday that month, it was that child's birthday party. So everyone would get food and party favors and cake and everything, but the birthday kid would get, you know, a birthday present package. So at the end of 2012, we had celebrated 64 kids' birthdays. We were, like, <laughs> that's more than we ever uh... set out to do. Um, so that was 10 months into the organization. Fast forward another 10 months, and I think that was the next milestone for Beverly's birthdays. So now we're in October of 2013. We are still a volunteer organization, uh, but at this point we now have 
16 shelter relationships and we're serving about 400 kids. Um, so essentially every night of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I don't, we didn't throw parties on Fridays because no volunteers would ever come on Fridays, but essentially <laughs> every night of the week, we were at some shelter doing some dog and pony show and throwing birthday parties for families in crisis. And I don't know. It was, it was a blast. It was what we did. It was what we did to let go. Now in October of 2013, two things happened and timing is everything in life, but um, two things happened. One was we, we got our first grant from the Grable foundation and it was a grant that allowed us to hire a part-time program coordinator. So Greg Bear, who's the director of the Grable Foundation, recognized the work that we were doing as being very beneficial to families, but specifically children. And he also saw that while we were partnered with 16 agencies, there was, there was a lot more agencies out there that we could be partnered with. And he didn't want to see um, programming slipping. He didn't want to see any lack in consistency, you know, consistency in showing up the same, the same day of the month for a particular shelter was very important for the children so that they would have something to look forward to, which honestly is almost as beneficial as the party itself. You know, having yeah. that thing that you're looking forward to is great. Uh, so we got our part-time, we got funding to hire a part-time program coordinator. The other thing that was happening at that time was I was leaving insurance in Pittsburgh, and I had accepted a position with a financial planning firm in Greensburg, which is about an hour east of the city. Uh, so I started with that firm, Mosaic Consulting was the name of the firm. And after about two weeks, we were about to hire this part-time program coordinator. We knew that we needed to hire a full-time director slash fundraiser so that we could sustain this position. Otherwise we were going to run out of money in like three months. And then, well, then everything was ruined. So we're looking like, okay, what does it cost to hire a, an executive director? And we we're like, okay, not even close. <laughs> they were like, well, what does it take to hire a development director? Okay. Still not even close. So then I was like, well, I'm neither of those things, but I know the mission and I'm pretty dedicated. So my only responsibilities at that time, I was single and I had rent. <laughs> I said, if my residual income from my insurance, now I had done insurance for six years at that time. If my residual income from insurance plus whatever stipend Beverly's birthdays could pay me equaled my monthly expenses, I said, I'll do it. I'll, I'll give it a shot. So I ended up telling Mosaic Consulting, thank you for the opportunity, but I am going to go back to Pittsburgh and I'm going to try and start this nonprofit. So I started as the first full-time employee at the same time we hired this part-time program coordinator in October of 2013. And Megs, by the way, um, stayed on as a volunteer uh, director, program director of the organization. 
So we had program director volunteer, we had development director, me, uh, paid by stipend, and then we had Michelle Messer doing program coordination. And my goals were simple at that time. My goals were raise enough money to sustain my own salary, raise enough money to support Michelle and that part-time position, raise enough money to support the programs that we were doing, and then within one year, raise enough money to hire Megs as well um, so that we could really operate as a as an actual organization. <laughs> wow. uh, and, and it worked. It worked. Um, it wasn't easy. We had a lot of learning to do. Um, and we certainly had a lot of grassroots fundraising to do. But somehow it worked. Um, now, it took me, well, until I came to the education partnership to get back up to the salary that I was at. So there was some pain along the way, but I don't think I would trade it for anything because what we learned in those early years of Beverly's birthdays was how to deal with adversity, um, how a nonprofit is structured. I took, I took courses for well the entirety of the time I was at Beverly's birthdays because I felt like I was behind in my knowledge of, of the nonprofit sector. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there were a lot of people in the nonprofit world that probably, I don't want to say like scoffed at Beverly's birthdays, but, you know, we were this small volunteer run organization and we didn't really know what we were doing. We didn't have any professional training. I didn't have a master's in social work. I didn't have a degree in nonprofit management. But what I did have was this sales background. And it turns out, Stacy, that um, nonprofit fundraising and insurance sales are the same exact thing. It's just that rather than selling insurance policy, you're selling this idea, you're selling your mission, and um, you're selling this idea of supporting your community, which in some ways was a lot easier. It's certainly easier on me mentally. Um, so yeah, that, that's what we did have going for us. And at the same time, there were lots of free or low cost education to be found out there. Shout out to the Bayer Center for Nonprofit Management. Uh, shout out to the Carnegie Libraries of Oakland and to Robert Morris University. And I took courses, you know, three days a week while we were throwing parties and fundraising and trying to do this and that, that I basically learned on the fly do's and don'ts of how to build a nonprofit board? What is nonprofit governance? How do you build and balance a budget? And kudos to Megs because, you know, she did a lot of this work as well. I mean, a lot of this work as well. For as heavy as I was on the donor stewardship and event side and back end finance side, Megs was on the front end doing program. Um, you know, she was the face to the community. Uh, she interfaced with the board. Uh, probably more than I did, but we were a we were a two-headed beast, and and we were the yin to each other's yang. You know, we trusted each other inherently, but we think very, very differently. And I think that was that's an important part uh, of the equation that made it work. 
Absolutely. Can I, let's finish up right here because there's a lot that I think we can pick out of here that I think people can get out of this. Um, So actually, Megs is going to be on the show um, in a couple weeks here. So I'm excited to kind of hear her version of this because I've I've heard both of you talk about this. Um, So (laughs) I'm kind of here, I'm kind of curious to hear it from her perspective and, and, you know, her journey um, with Beverly's birthdays, which I have heard um, quite a few times, but I am waiting to hear that from her as well. Um, But what I really love about this story is that you didn't really have any knowledge of what you were getting into. You just, I kind of wanted, what did you feel? So when Megs called you and said, I have $2,500, do you want to throw birthday parties for homeless children? Like what in you made you just say, sure, like let's do it. Aside from the fact that you said you didn't have many responsibilities, because that definitely, um, I'm sure helped. But what inside of you was, you know, in you that just, made you want to take that jump and made you excited about that opportunity? So it was, it was the combination of like two of my favorite things, which are kids and parties. So (laughs) I figure, dang, here's an opportunity to do both of those things. And at the same time, do a little bit of good in my community. And, Mm. you know, I hadn't, you know, volunteerism wasn't in my, in my makeup. You know, I, I grew up in Upper St. Clair, which is, you know, uh, lovingly called the bubble. And you're shielded from a lot of this stuff. And I was, I was ignorant to homelessness. I was ignorant, certainly to childhood homelessness and what that all meant in, in, I mean, there's so much to unpack. That that's for another podcast. But it was an, it was this opportunity to do something that was both familiar and and new at the same time. And it was that hybrid of kids and parties. And I wanted to I wanted to be part of that. That's awesome. Do you think that's you what think that's what kept your drive kept your- as you were building this with Megs and you know talking to these businesses? And you think it was kind of a combination of all the things that you had done up until then combined with this passion that you had and this excitement that you had for the kids and the kids parties? For sure. One, 100% it was. In fact, I, I, I said that up until the day I left Beverly's birthdays for the education partnership was, you know, when we had a bad day, like if, if I had a call with a donor that didn't go well, or if an event like no one showed up and we didn't raise any money, like that was a bad day. And then what I would do is I would go to a party that night and I'd be like, okay, perspective reset, not that bad of a day. Absolutely. So I think that was, that really fueled, I mean, I, I, I'm actually sitting in my office and I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at this picture that Meg's actually got me as a going away present from Beverly's birthdays. And it's, it's something I would say, all the time in the office. And it just says, it's all about perspective. And I, I would say it constantly. I'd, I'd say it whenever we had bad days. I'd say it when we had good days. Because, you know, a bad day for us was not making the money that we needed. A bad day for these kids was they didn't know where their parents were. Or uh, they had their entire life thrown away because they got moved from shelter to shelter. So... 
uh, that was all you needed. Absolutely. And that, what you just said, kind of sums up my whole compliment from the beginning. <laughs> it's all about perspective. And I think you model that. Um, and you've modeled it then and you're modeling it now with the education partnership. Um, and for those of you that don't know, we did kind of jump into this, but that's, that's how I know, Josh, about 2014, I believe, is when I kind of came along. Um, we opened up our for Encore Event Design, we opened up our studio over on the West End of Pittsburgh. And for one of our opening um, events, we had people bring donations for Beverly's birthdays. And Josh and Michelle came and they set up. And I think that's the first time we met, I believe. I met Megs before that, but I think that was the first time that I met you. And from there, we just developed this relationship and we began to work um, and sponsor events with Beverly's birthdays, your evening of cheer galas. And I literally had a firsthand seat watching the two of you just grow and develop. And it's such an honor to just watch and to see, you know, one year, you know, being in a, a restaurant or something. I think you had one of your games. Yeah, bar to, to eventually be in at PNC Park and the Science Center and, you know, just all these different places and to see the type of support um, that has come. And I know you said a lot of that was, you know, hard work and obviously definitely hard work, but it also takes a certain type of leader and a certain type of person to pull that off. And I know that because when you left Beverly's birthdays and you said, I'm going to the education partnership and, you know, I'll contact you when we need help with that. I said, absolutely. Yes. And guess what? I had no idea what the education partnership did, but I said, yes, <laughs> because <laughs> I said, yes, because I trusted you and I knew how you were as a leader and I knew your work ethic and I knew your heart. And I think that that's the type of leader that it takes to lead these types of organizations. It has to be someone that, you can trust someone that has, you know, a, an amazing perspective, um, someone that can keep, you know, pushing forward when things aren't looking bad, things, people that can start with something that maybe is undesirable or that others may push aside or cast aside and can cast a vision to see it through. Um, so I love that about you and Megs. And I love um, Beverly's birthdays is still growing. I, I saw her on, um, who was she on? Oh, Kelly Clarkson. And I got super excited because um, Encore balloons were like in the background. And I was like, yay, Encore made it on, <laughs> on <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. But, you know, but just that excitement to even just be a part of that and to, you know, kind of parallel it with, with my own company. You know, we were, you know, started out, you know, kind of in similar ways and small like that. But I feel like when your mission is to give back and to support and to put good into the community, like what bad can come out of that? You know, you're gonna have struggles and you're gonna have journeys, but if you're consistently planting good seeds and consistently giving and consistently pouring in um, to the community, you know, I feel like it has no choice but to grow. I think you're right. I think you're right. Now, I part of me also looks back and I think to myself that that was insane. Like, <laughs> you know, my, whenever I told my parents that I, you know, one, I, I just left an insurance career that was going really well, uh, even amidst the recession. 
I had just signed on with this financial planning firm that was like, it, it was so, it was an enormous opportunity. And then two weeks into the gig, I tell my parents, I'm like, you know what? I'm actually going to leave and I'm going to go work um, for Beverly's birthdays and uh, I'm going to make $16,000 a year. <laughs> my parents are like, wait, what? And, uh, you know, I've always been one that I, I like whenever someone says don't do something or uh, you can't do something. Um, you know, that's <laughs> one of my motivators. So uh, sorry, mom and dad, you were right. That was insane. But but look, it totally worked out. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've met your parents. They're lovely people, but so I'm sure that they were supporting and rooting you on. So, yeah, where are we? Where, um... Yeah, so let's, um, before we get into kind of your transition to Beverly, um, to the Education Partnership, what do you think was kind of maybe your biggest life lesson up until then? Or have you maybe experienced it since you've left Beverly's birthdays? Wait, can you say that again? A motorcycle drove by my office at that very second. <laughs> I couldn't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I was asking, what was maybe one of your biggest life lessons that you learned maybe up until that point with Beverly's birthdays or even now as you've transitioned into the education partnership? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know if it's a life lesson. I mean, I would certainly, I, I always talk about perspective. You know, it, everything is about perspective. It, it, it's one of the most valuable tools we have as humans. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm not understating that. Um, you know, our ability to maintain perspective and the ability um, to try and understand somebody else's perspective. Why is somebody talking to you? Why is somebody asking you a question? Why is somebody looking that way? Why would somebody vote for that person? Understanding somebody's perspective and asking questions to better understand it um, is a really, really valuable tool. So I don't know if that's a life lesson, but um, you know, that's one thing that I always keep in mind. And then the other one that I uh, certainly learned um, at Allegheny College and playing football at Allegheny College was to be a meticulous manager of your own time. Um, and my staff today would would uh, vouch for that statement. You know, I keep two I keep two planners, one electronic, one paper. They mirror each other, and I am meticulous about how I use my time and who I give my time to. Um, because it's the only way you can stay sane and it's the only way you can really accomplish whatever goals you have set out is to literally put pen to paper and say, I'm going to do this then. Now that might not be the same for everyone, but for me, time management is number one, top priority. So I think, um, that prepared me for Beverly's birthdays and the education partnership. I love that. And I, I really love the first thing you said um, about being able to see things from other people's perspectives. And I think especially with the climate of our world right now and a lot of the 
injustices and things that are coming to light and how that plays out in a work environment um, and people that you lead. I think that's so super important right now um, for people to just be able to see something from someone else's point of view. You know, it's not necessarily your belief or, you know, your experiences, but that's very real to someone else. And like you kind of said before, even with Beverly's birthdays, you um, weren't really privy to that. You didn't really realize, you know, growing up that <laughs> that was really happening. Um, it was maybe something you saw on TV, but to actually see it in person and to experience for yourself. I think that's amazing. So how do you think that that's translated into um, your qualities as a leader? I'm sure that's only helped. But how do you think that that's helped? shape your leadership, being able to view perspectives like that? Well, I think you have to, you have to look at who you're leading. Um, and you have to understand everyone's motivation for doing what they do. And, you know, leadership happens certainly in the workplace, but it's just in your friend groups, in your friend circles. And I think being able to understand different people's perspective of I'm coming to work because it motivates me to help teachers or I'm coming to work because one day I want to be X and this is the organization that's that stepping stone or understanding that I'm coming to work because I need a paycheck and anything you can do to help me is a good thing. You know, understanding people's perspective as a leader is is a tool that you have to help build i don't i don't know if this is the right word but to help build loyalty in some sense and to help build a unity between you and somebody else so that you understand that you're doing the right thing by this person to help them achieve their goal you know is, is your goal to be an executive director one day awesome i'm going to tell you how i got to this point is your goal to be a computer programmer one day? Awesome. While you're here, this is what we need from you to program computers. And let me see if I can get you to that next step. If it's just about a paycheck, say, I'm going to get you to the top of the line as much as I can. And you're going to have that person forever. You know, when you, when you understand why people are doing what they're doing, it really helps you make decisions about how to best lead that person. That all being said, I am very much a, a lead from behind type of person. Um, I think uh, I went through a leadership course through um, Leadership Pittsburgh, and it was their younger co cohort called the Leadership Development Initiative. And mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the leadership principles in that cohort that stuck most with me was uh, the followership course and how followership is actually a crucial part of leadership. And, you know, I'm fortunate at the education partnership that I walked into a team of leaders and a lot of them didn't need to have their hand held. You know, it's about giving people the support that they need so that they can go about and do their job and do it great. Um, so in my role at TEP, I'm fortunate that, that I don't have to pave any new drastic road. Now, I'm always looking for new 
new ways to form partnerships, new ways to support the community, new ways to collaborate. But from a from a leadership standpoint here, I support those around me and I follow them in, in the paths that they think are best in their arena. And I really try and give them the autonomy to do that. Now, I'm sure if you ask the staff, they would probably say, no, that's not Josh at all. But at least in my head, that's what I'm trying to accomplish. I don't think they would say that at all. But I, you know, and one thing that you mentioned, secondly, after perspective, you mentioned um, about time management. And it's interesting because I, I usually talk to women uh, most of the time. We talk a lot about self-care um, in um, conjunction with time management and what that looks like. But it's not often that I talk to men about self-care. And you put it in the words of time management, but it's really about self-care, taking care of yourself and managing your time and making sure that you're good so that you can be good for other people. So what are some of your um, your practices for best care? How do you keep yourself um, you know, mentally sound, keep, your, keep the brain fog away, keep your energy levels up? How do you keep yourself the best version of yourself so that you can be there? for your team and those that you lead? Boy, that's a good question. Um, well, you know, when it comes down to time management, when I structure my, my planner for my day or my week, I try and not immediately piggyback meeting on meeting. You know, I like to leave like a 15 minute decompress period. Uh, certainly if it's an important meeting, um, so that I can sit down and think about what is it that we just talked about and what do I do next from this meeting? Otherwise, you're wasting time. You know, if you're just meeting to meet, you, you know, go do something else. That's not a good use of your time. So I always have this buffer um, or, I, or I try to have this buffer before or after meetings to mentally prepare on the front end and then decompress on the back end. And that does wonders for me. You know, the days that I come home most exhausted and not physically exhausted, most mentally exhausted are those days where my meetings are all jammed together, but even more so they cross different wires in my brain. So if I have, you know, a facilities meeting at 7.30 a.m. and then at 9 a.m. I go into a programmatic operations meeting and then at 10 a.m., I go into a grant writing meeting. And then at 11 a.m., I'm going to meet a donor. And then at 12 o'clock, I have a one-on-one -on -one with a staff member. You know, changing gears for me from operations to programs to fundraising, that's mentally exhausting. So if I can structure a day to stay in one lane, that does me a lot of good as well. So if I can just focus one day on fundraising, doesn't matter if that's meeting with a donor or writing a grant or whatever, that's a less mentally exhausting day. So that's another trick I use. And then I also, I, I, now this is just, um, I don't know, genetics, but I only need about six hours of sleep. That's if I get more, I'm already awake and I'm doing things. So what I do with that time is I get in the office or, you know, now that it's COVID, if I'm working from home, I'm in front of my computer at 8 a.m., no matter what. You know, my team doesn't usually start until 9 a.m., um, but in that hour, I can get through all of my email inbox and organize my thoughts for the day. 
It's one extra hour that makes my life so much more manageable um, that I, I can't tell you how important it is uh, to, to have that early bird gets the word worm type of mentality. And then of course I love to do fun things. I love hanging out with friends. I still love uh, to party. I, I, I love to golf. I love to hang out with family. Um, you know, all those other fun things, make time for fun things as well. And when you go on vacation, go on vacation, turn off your phone. I love going yes. camping. Nobody can reach me. You know, that's yes. another good thing. I totally agree with that. We went on a cruise a few years ago and, you know, you don't get signal <laughs> when you're out on the boats and it was the best, most amazing feeling ever. And I have never turned back on my um, notifications ever since then. Just, you know, major ones like text messages and uh, voicemails, but all those like social media apps and all that stuff, like I've never turned them back on. There's something to be said for that. There is. I love it. Well, Josh, I've appreciated our conversation today. I loved it. I want to leave you with this one last question. What does success look like to you? And have you achieved that yet, do you think? What does success look like to you? Success, success is not a, a one-size-fits-all thing. You know, success is going to be different for everyone. Again, perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone is going to have a different perspective on success. For me, for me, success is happiness. Success is when I go home at the end of the day, do I feel like I accomplished something? Am I, am I satisfied with my work? Am I satiated by the impact that I had either on the people that I met with that day or the people that I served that day? Or, or whoever. So success for me is happiness. And, and I can promise you, it's certainly not money. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of people think that way, but there's infinite examples of, <laughs> of how that doesn't, that doesn't add up. That's not a good equation. So, you know, I think for me, success is happiness. And if, if you ever catch me, you know, not smiling or not laughing, you know, I might be in a bad mood, but more than often, I'm, I'm perceiving in my mind that I, that I failed at something and that eats at me. And then I try and get back from that failure and figure out what, why that happened and then turn it back into success. I love that. That was the perfect way to end our conversation today. Now, Josh, tell everyone how people can get a hold of you. How can they support the education partnership? Um, leave us with any information that you'd like to yeah. provide. Sure. Well, uh, if anyone wants to learn more about the education partnership, uh, our website is an awesome resource. It lists all of our partners, all of our events, all of our activities. And that web address is theeducationpartnership.org. Um, so that's a great resource. And then, of course, you can also make uh, financial contributions via the website. Uh, but also, you can volunteer your time. The education partnership really thrives off of volunteerism. We have a staff of 12, uh, but we are going to output $6 million worth of stuff this year. And that takes a lot more than 12 people. So if someone uh, is listening and say, says, I don't have money to give, but I've got time to give. We need that too. Um, and you can always reach out to us, info at theeducationpartnership.org. 
Or you can email me directly, Josh, my first name, josh at theeducationpartnership.org. So, um, you know, any way that someone is willing to get involved, if there's someone out there who wants to help their community, that wants to help students, that wants to help teachers or low-income schools, please reach out to us. Uh, we're here for you. Wonderful. And if you are in the Pittsburgh area, you may have already seen um, Josh's lovely face. I see it all the time on my screen. I, I snapshotted it and sent him a, a text of it <laughs> one day because I was so excited. I was like, look, and my girls think that you're famous and they were all excited. So oh, I'm like, that's he's nice. on TV. I can assure so you I'm not, but I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Josh. I appreciate you spending your time with me today and letting people hear your journey to success. And we thank you and we appreciate you greatly. Oh, right back at you, Stacey. This has been a blast. Thanks for allowing me this opportunity to be a little bit introspective. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the Live, Lead, Succeed podcast. Please remember to like and share and invite all of your friends to listen in. You can always follow us at liveleadsucceed.com and feel free to join our Facebook group, also Live, Lead, Succeed. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to the Live, Lead, Succeed podcast. We hope that you were inspired and encouraged to reach just a little bit higher today. Remember, you've got this and we're rooting for you.